You're listening to the Elite Insights podcast from the Victorian Institute of Sport. Each fortnight, our VIS experts put the spotlight on different aspects of high-performance sport in a way that we can all relate to and learn from. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Victorian Institute of Sport podcast, Elite Insights. I'm your host, Jess Whitby. And today we're going, we're doing a bit of a special episode. We're going to be chatting about track and field exclusively. Um, so to do that, I'm joined by VIS strength and conditioning coach, Corey Inns. Um, he looks after track and field and badminton here at VIS. How's it going, Corey? Good, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, good, thanks. I'm pretty excited. Um, we've kind of not done a lot of talking about track and field. We talked about it a little bit earlier in the season with um, training loads with you yep. and Rod. So it'd be good to kind of focus in on that area. So I guess, first off, what is strength and conditioning? Uh, so strength and conditioning kind of encompasses the physical preparation for an athlete. So any, any physical training can be part of, of strength and conditioning. And within that, you've kind of got two arms. You've got like a performance arm, so where we're trying to improve a certain quality or change something with an athlete's body. Um, and then we've also got an injury prevention arm, so mm-hmm. making sure athletes are available to train, available to upskill themselves. So those are kind of the two arms to them. And then within that, we go into more depth. So if we're looking at the performance arm, trying to change something like uh, speed or endurance or um, something like that, then within those factors, you can look at, okay, so if we're gonna change speed, then how are we gonna change speed? We can change contact times. How are we going to change contact times? We need to improve muscle stiffness or we need to improve tendon stiffness. How are we going to do that? Then we're going to do this certain exercise in the gym. So yeah. it's kind of like where you start globally and then work back to how you can change performance Interesting. on a day-to-day level. So I guess you kind of sit down and you look at the overall goals and outcomes, I guess, of your athletes and then yep. work backwards from there. Yeah, yep. So um, I think we're going to go and, and, and chat about this at some point yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's kind of got to be driven by the coach and the athlete themselves. Mm-hmm. So our model at the VIS, they sit in the middle. Um, they're the ones that, that make decisions on how they're going to affect their performance or affect their injury prevention. Um, and then outside of that sits the whole service support team. So that's myself and strength and conditioning. And then we've also got psychology, nutrition, uh, sports science. Yeah. Uh, and then biomechanics or, or performance analysis as well. So it's then based on what can that support service team do to affect those goals for the, the athletes and the coaches. Yeah. And that's how, how we kind of work about it. That's how it should work in an ideal scenario as well, yeah. where everyone's contributing to the one goal, yeah. rather than just going, okay, you're an athlete, go and see the nutritionist, see what they can do for you, go and see yeah. the site, what they can do yeah, for you. Definitely. It needs to be this kind of... Team approach where you're all working towards the same goal. Yeah, nice. So I guess the coach and the athlete they kind of dictate. Hey, we want to improve this. This is your expertise. Yep. What can you? How can we do that? Yep. What can we go yep. here? And you work with I guess across all those service providers as well. Yep. As strength and conditioning, you'll go chat to nutrition or SNC yep. and work with them. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So athlete Athletics Australia has a really good approach where we look at kind of the three. Uh, what they call gaps to podium. Mm-hmm. So what are the three biggest areas that an athlete needs to change in order to move closer towards getting a medal or being on the podium? Um, so that might be uh, 
something around anxiety levels that are major champs, so that will fall back more sort of to psychology, but then maybe there's something within their physical training that they can be doing that's also helping um, work on something that the psych was working on them with. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're all across the same conversations, then we're all able to see how, how and where we can affect um, change across their training. Yeah, nice. And I guess in track and field, um, as you're saying, Athletics Australia have this quite nice setup. Is it very different uh, doing SNC with track and field compared to, say, badminton, for example, or yeah. even other sports you've worked in, like diving? Is it a different approach or is it often yeah. quite the same? Uh, principles stay the same, so what we can change physically, uh, but then within sports, you've obviously got different movement patterns. Um, different things that you need to work on. So track and field's almost a little bit more simplistic than other sports in that if I'm working with a sprinter, the whole goal is to be able to run faster. So then we have to do things in training that make them run faster. Whereas if I'm working with a court-based athlete, they've got to move faster, they've got more complex movement patterns. So for badminton, that's lunging, jumping, changing direction, uh, footwork, that's endurance as well, being able to last across different sets. So there's kind of a few more complex factors you've got to consider in this yeah. training puzzle. Whereas with track and field, yeah, you can just stick on that one factor, but you can get into that factor a bit more in depth. So yeah. like I was just saying before, if that's a sprinter, we look at contact times, we look at force production, we look at force absorption, we look at biomechanics and how they're landing. Um, whereas we might not go that much in depth with a team sport athlete because that one factor might not be the one thing that makes the biggest change. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that's yeah. quite cool that you guys can like narrow that focus so much yeah. and like make those really small changes to make the big difference. Um, and I guess here at VIS, how often are you working with the athletes to achieve those goals? Uh, Say so in like a week uh, or in a month? Across my kind of typical week. Yeah. Um, most of the track and field athletes with me at the moment are on two days a week mm-hmm. uh, with uh, their gym training and then they might do some um, extra stuff outside of here so in their own training environment so that could be something like mobility or it could be something like plyometrics or stability um, so that kind of two two or three sessions is, is the majority of them um, and in terms of how my day looks our main sessions are Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings yeah, nice. uh, and I try to keep within that two hours because it's good for the track and field athletes to have a squad environment to be able to work off each other see each other train all that kind of stuff um, creates a bit of training environment then them coming in and doing yet another session on their own as a lot of them would be uh, outside of the gym yeah uh, and then I have Tuesdays, Thursdays, we would do a couple of uh, double sessions just for some individual athletes as well. Try to make myself available a bit more for coaching hours because with track and field, their weekly schedules can be quite different. Yeah. Um, and they need gym sessions in quite specific places as well as to not affect the rest of their training. Yeah. Right. So they're going out, like if it's a distance runner, they're going out and doing threshold session or uh, faster session, they don't want their gym to be having to take place the day before and interrupt that training. They mm-hmm. want that to occur after that training, so I've got to be available for that. Yeah, okay. Um, like you were saying, like with track and field, you, um, it's pretty nice that they get to have that squad environment, I guess, so yep. it is such an individual sport. Yeah. Um, do you see that improve, like, your athletes in different ways when they get to be in that squad environment? Yeah, I think so. Um, 
being in that environment, they're able to cue off each other a bit more and, and just really enjoy being around other people a bit as well. Um, particularly, I've got a lot of middle distance, long distance runners where they're out running on their own a lot, and so they don't get that kind of camaraderie that you would mm -hmm. have in a team sport yeah. environment. So to bring them in and do sessions together, then they get that kind of camaraderie out of it. Yeah. They also see how each other move as well. I think there's a lot to be said for uh, athletes learning by observation. So if they're able to see how someone's doing a particular drill that I've given them, then they're able to pick up a little cue, which I might not have been able to give them just by telling them or, or trying to show them myself. So there's quite good advantages to having them all in the room yeah. at the same time. Yeah, appeals to all those different learners, I guess. Yes. Um, and so you don't always work here at VIS, however. I mean, so with track and field, obviously you're competing a lot overseas as well. Yep. You know, a lot of our athletes were just over in Europe yep. um, for world champs. How do you go about working with them when you're maybe not here at VIS, when you're out with them competing? Yeah. Um it's definitely a challenge and in some ways those times are more difficult and more challenging than when they are in the mm -hmm. gym. So when they are in the gym I can have conversations, see how they're pulling up from sessions, adjust sessions on the fly, um, can see how they've moved across four weeks to then go what are we going to do across this next four weeks to change a skill. Uh, but when I don't have that and you've got some athletes that are overseas for long, long periods on training camps at altitude or competing in Europe, these kind of things, communication has to be really good. Yeah. Uh, so how we've done that this year is um, pretty much on WhatsApp, just sending videos back and forth, conversations back and forth. I've tried to catch up with most of my athletes um, every week or every two weeks while they're overseas, mm -hmm. and then I'll get them to send videos back on how they're performing skills as well. So it can be quite sort of labour intensive that period yeah. when, they're, when they're gone. Yeah. And there's a little bit of that unknown factor as well. So the main thing with that is, is being across the injury prevention stuff. Because you've got two things. One, I'm not seeing them all the time. But then two, they've increased like either the intensity of their training or their, their competitions. So the risk of injury has gone up and I'm not there to be across it. So I have to be really good in terms of communication between myself and, and the medical staff as to being on top of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that totally makes it far trickier when you can't see them every day. Yeah. Um, and I know a while ago we talked about like monitoring systems like the AMS, for example. Yep. Um, is this being used in track and field and do you use it when they're overseas at all? Or? Yeah, it's been used in track and field. Uh, at the moment, there's um, other people within the support team that are across that, so that we'll see what their training loads are looking like and be able to have conversations with them more around their, their specific training. So I'm thinking uh, physiologists here, mm -hmm. and, and mainly in the middle and long distance running. Yeah. Um, but then also AMS has been quite good for us in terms of injury notes and, and noting uh, little niggles uh, that may occur in the build-up to going overseas. So then if someone is injured overseas and seeing another practitioner there, we're able to provide them with uh, some information on what they did while they were back here and what was successful in their okay. rehab for that. That's really good. Yeah. Um, so going back to being overseas, I guess the big event for track and field this year for a lot of our athletes was world champs in London. How did you work with the VIS athletes in the lead up to that? Yeah, uh, so... It's a big question, I know. <laughs> Sorry. So we had a bit of uh, an interesting season. So the build-up to Australian Nationals, almost all of them are here all the time, mm -hmm. um, barring a couple of small training camps. 
And then the minute that Australian Nationals finished, we had um, some big relay events in the US, we had training camps in the US, and then athletes going straight from the US to Europe to compete. Uh, so there was a period of three months there where I almost didn't see them at all. Wow. So that build up had to almost occur um, electronically, so yeah, the emails, WhatsApp, yeah. sending videos back and forth, getting feedback from them. Yeah. Um, but because I saw them so intensively up to the Australian champs and, and we worked on new exercises and different exercises, then I was able to kind of plug small variations of those into a time when they're away. So it's not something big or new that they haven't done before, but they'll go, okay, I recognise that exercise, it's just changing this one thing and not yeah. going to do it this way. And that's it's easy for them to do. Yeah, nice. But then in terms of my role as it comes into the champs, the last couple of weeks my role starts to really um, take a back seat mm-hmm. and the other support staff will, will take a more um, uh, a better approach in terms of being there on the ground and being able to affect change. So people like the physios, the docs, um, and then uh, we had a couple of psychs um, support as well. Yeah. Um, so I guess your role is kind of more that lead up, I guess, in yep. that period before you're working with them intensively to get those outcomes. Um, what were some of the outcomes, I guess, that you were working towards with some of your athletes? Yeah, um, yeah, depending on the athletes. So yeah. I had a real interesting cohort. So I've had some that were brand new to gym training, mm-hmm. had some that had uh, years of gym training. Um, so some of them were working on just getting stronger um, better movement patterns and more stability that's more probably sitting on the, the middle and long distance runners Yeah. Um, and then I had um, some speed and power athletes which we've done some pretty cool stuff with some yeah, overloaded eccentrics early in the season so that's where you really overload the down part of the movement yeah, so right. when the muscle's stretching um, it's still working really hard um, and then from there they've gone into some strength stuff and some power stuff so that uh, was an interesting case to do. Yeah, it's while they weren't here with us. <laughs> <laughs> so did they do that all while they were away with without like yeah, overseas? like the eccentric part. So the the really complex stuff we were able to do just before they go away, right. and then while they were away, it was into more pure strength stuff. And that's just trying to finding gyms or finding places that they're comfortable to get those sessions done. Yeah, right. Um, I was going to say, that sounds intense, doing, like, the, the new wild stuff overseas. Yeah, so try and get that out of the way before they hit yeah. off. Like, I, I definitely am not keen on giving new um, complicated stuff while they're gone. Yeah. So try and get that done earlier. So the movement patterns that they're doing while they're away are more simplistic. Um, and then having the Cologne camp for Athletics Australia, where athletes mm-hmm. can come in and out and have that support there is a really good initiative as well. Yeah. And then when they were in their holding camp um, in Tombridge prior to the champs, they're all coming in together. So they kind of had eyes on them while they were yeah. away. Yeah. Um, and they had each other while they were away, which was good. And I guess you're also still like working with the coaches and you still got those lines of communication with like the athletes open, you know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So like they leave Australia and you're totally in the dark about what's happening. Yeah, exactly. And I don't like over exaggerate my role in those last couple of weeks into the champs. The main thing is that they're continuing to perform and that they're able to um, be injury free and get to the start line. So we're not trying to work on some real big strength or power gains in those last few weeks, but just get them to the start line ready to go. um, And that's the main goal. Yeah, so speaking about injury prevention, you mentioned earlier with strength and conditioning, there's two main 
um, so it's a performance and injury prevention. Yep. What role does strength and conditioning play with injury prevention? Um, so, yeah, in terms of injury prevention, it's, yeah, we've kind of got two different ways of approaching it. One, we know with a certain amount of injuries that once you do this injury that its likelihood of reoccurring is quite high. So I'm thinking things like hamstring and ankle injuries where the reoccurrence rate is really, really high. Yeah. So once someone does one of those injuries, then they're basically on, on prehab work for the rest of their career and have wow. to be, otherwise it's going to reoccur. So that's one arm. And then the other arm is looking at what are common injuries to that event or to uh, that event group in track and field and what things can we put in place in the gym that are going to potentially protect an athlete from that injury. So um, if we're looking at jumpers, for example, we know tendinopathies are um, quite a regular injury. So at the knee and at the uh, Achilles. Yeah. So that's when they've done a lot of jumping and a lot of running and start to get quite sore just on the kneecap or just on the back of the ankle there. So if we've got stuff in place like uh, some really good hamstring work to help protect the knee or some really good bent leg uh, soleus calf work to help protect the ankle, then that can um, do wonders in terms of trying to protect those two injuries. Yeah. So that's just two examples of, of looking at a predisposing injury for an event group and then putting things in place to make sure it doesn't occur as best we can. Yeah, so those happening, I guess the prehab work is happening throughout their training plans and the every day, or how often are they doing prehab? Yeah, uh, within their gym programs, I'll have that the whole year, the whole year around. Okay. Because we can't sort of, um, once you take something out of training, then you're not training it. So if you're training something and you take it out, then it becomes detrained. So you have, in my opinion, have to have that in the entire year, otherwise you're going to lose strength and potentially be more um, risky for injury. Okay. Um, so that's just one, one, one part of it is the strength and conditioning part, but there's also the load management part as well, which we spoke about on a previous podcast. And so that's the, more the coach's role and, mm-hmm. and other support staff to enable the athlete to not do too much intense work at one time to get into these situations where they're having injuries. Yeah. So you kind of look at it from both those two directions. Yeah, and what, hap- what happens when injury does happen and the measured young place fail, they don't work? Yep. What's, what's your role when injury does happen? Uh, if that happens, then we have to be a little bit reactive. Uh, and the first thing we want to look at is a timeline. So what sort of timeline have we got? Is it realistic that we're going to get the athlete to that championships? Is it realistic to get an athlete into those races? Um, and then from there we'll go about making a plan. So we'll do that um, as part of a medical team and myself in strength mm-hmm. and conditioning. So again, it's like you sit in with that support staff and you guys yep. work together, make a plan around what the coach and the athlete go, well, we think we can be back. Let's aim yep. for this. Yep. And then you just work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so as I was going to say, then it's whether that's realistic or not. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those conversations can be really hard ones with athletes. So, for example, with World Champs last year, we look at we had a, a couple of athletes with injuries that didn't allow them to ca- carry on or try and compete at World Champs. They had to stay home and, and get their rehab done because you've got Commonwealth so close around yeah. the corner. And Commonwealth is where we've probably got a much higher chance of meddling or having success. So those conversations are, are hard ones, um, made by the, the medical team and, my, and myself as well with, with my input. Yeah. Um, 
and the ones that do that and do that successfully are the ones that are going to be able to perform better long term. Um, we do have athletes that are desperate to get back and love to train, um, and they'll do anything to to get to that championships. But it's always reminding them that their athletic's career is a career, and it's not just a six month period. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what you said about just working what's realistic is so important to remember with injuries I think yeah you see even especially at grassroots level lots of people like get injured they take a week or two off and they're like oh I'll be fine yeah and it's like especially track and field with those injuries like hamstrings or ankles that you said can just recur so often yeah that it's so important um so what kind of things are you doing with SNC when your athletes are injured to monitor that and to Yep. make sure that they're making the right steps in the right direction yep so when we have this time period we'll make a plan as to what they need to do week to week and what things they need to tick off in order to be uh, in a position to compete at the champs so that might be uh, by week three you need to be back jumping we've got some previous measures on, on your um, jump height when you're doing a counter movement jump so that has to be within X amount of your best and then we know from there we can move into the next phase of rehab um, we know that you need to tick off X amount of metres at 70% of your top speed before we can go to 80%, all these kind of things. So these mm-hmm. are kind of week-to-week goals in uh, terms of ticking off what they need to do to be able to, uh, to, be able to compete at the championships. Yeah, right. So how is, I guess, rehab with SNC uh, or even prehab, sorry, with track and field different to other sports? Is it much different? Uh, I guess that structure stays the same across mm-hmm. any sport. Um, with track and field, we do have a closed sport in that uh, the track's the same, the distance is the same, the speed's the same. So we know what we're trying to get the athlete back to. It's quite a closed skill. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm looking at something like badminton, that uh, the shuttle can go in any direction. They can play against a, another pair that's really intense or another pair that's quite easy. So there's a lot more random things to consider. Yeah. Um, so that rehab back back can be a little bit longer because we have to start to introduce things that are random within that rehab. Right. Track and field, we know what we're trying to get to yeah. and where they need to be. Yeah, that sounds a lot harder in badminton. It sounds like you guys like working with like so many more variables that you just have no idea. Yeah, yeah, but in, in track and field can be hard as well because... In track and field, if they're not at 100%, that's the difference between them maybe winning or not making a final. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in team sports, if you rehab back to 90%, maybe that's enough to not get injured within the game, Yeah. but still be able to take it to the court. So it's kind of two different ways, ways to look at it. Yeah, definitely. Pros and cons in each of those things. Yeah, it's tricky, I think. Like, I think you guys have such a tough job. It blows my mind. Um, so I guess here at VIS we have people like you and we have all those support staff around the coach and the athlete helping them not only prehab and work back from injuries but yep. make minor changes to achieve goals. Um, at a grassroots level, is strength and conditioning something that could be important to someone at a grassroots level, at a recreational level? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I just met, uh, just had a little bit of a state uh, athletics thing on Sunday and one of the main messages I was trying to put across is having a plan around strength and conditioning and, and uh, trying to achieve that plan. I think so often we'll look at exercises on Instagram or on Facebook and, and that looks like a cool exercise. 
So I'm going to put that into my program because the world champion's doing it and then I'll make things around it. Mm -hmm. Whereas what that needs to sit out at grassroots is go, okay, am I ticking off single leg strength? Am I ticking off uh, some hamstring prevention stuff because that's a major injury in my sport? Am I ticking off calf strength work because Achilles stuff is um, a major injury in my sport? So more just having that basic plan and executing it at grassroots level, I would suggest is important. Yeah. than trying to do things that are a bit advanced too early. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then with younger kids as well, exposing them to skill more more often more and earlier. So often uh, with track and field, if we're looking at, say, sprints, they'll start doing step-ups and they'll start doing cleans when they're sort of 16, 17, and they stay the same throughout a 15-year career. Whereas maybe that was better exposing them to other exercises. So can they snatch? Can they clean? Can they do that from above knee? Can they do it from below knee? Can they do that um, single leg? Or, you know, yeah. just exposing them to all these different variations. Because the more skill they have by the time they're sort of 17, 18, the more we can do in terms of then starting to add load to that skill. Yeah, that right. Yeah, yeah, it does, definitely. Um, and I guess, so something we spoke about a couple of weeks ago with Rod and Nick that I think you've kind of just echoed there is that um, maybe instead of going and looking at what the world champions are doing and going, I'm going to do that, I'm going to, we talked about specifically altitude yep. and I'm going to go do an altitude session like yep. in a tent because, or a heat session in a tent, I guess, yep. and because that's what the world champions are doing and like, I should do that too if I want to be better maybe you should just train more and focus yeah. on the smaller stuff. And I think that's yeah. something you really echoed just there. It's like focus yeah. on that strength stuff and yeah, get the basics. Yeah, I, I can see like, like it sucks because you want to go and do something that's fun and different and, and really cool, but you kind of have to earn that by doing the hard work to get there. Otherwise, you're just trying to get an adaptation that you're not going to get. Yeah. So um, an example like the heat tent stuff there with Edmonton, we've spent three years of doing running on court work and running on treadmills and getting to the point where they're almost maxing out the aerobic ability and then now we've just started adding in heat tent two, oh, wow. two weeks ago. So yeah. that's sort of been three years in the pipeline to get to the point where they're doing something that's quite advanced. Um, so I would suggest getting absolutely maxing out your abilities, whether it's speed or aerobic or strength, before you start to add in things like reducing contact times or heat tent or for strength of overloaded eccentric work. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's really important. Get the basics down. Definitely. Down pat first. Yep. Yeah. Um, awesome. Oh, the other question I did have for you yep. was, so talking about plans and planning out and getting these basics down, do you know any good resources that, can you recommend any good resources that grassroots recreational clubs might be able to look towards? I know, for, yep. for example, you mentioned before Athletics Australia and their the program that they have or Athletics Victoria yep. and the sessions they did. Yep. Can you recommend anywhere that grassroots clubs should be looking towards? Yeah, um, I think per first port of call is just to go to your national sport organisation and, and mm -hmm. see what structures they have in place. So um, they might be able to point you in a direction of their own coaching accreditation or their own coaching pathways where that's kind of covered off. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to go and do all this work yourself. Yeah, so that, that's probably the first port of call. Uh, in terms of coaching or strength and conditioning stuff uh, for track and field, there used to be a fantastic website, a Canadian athletics coaching website, which had articles, videos, anything you could find on track and field. Unfortunately, that's not sort of 
existing anymore, but Altus has come in and, and kind of taken that over. So it's, I guess, I, I'm not familiar with the resource, but yeah. resources kind of like that exist. So yeah. uh, get on Google and have a look and Go see on. if you can find ones. But be very careful that you're not um, finding a Weekend Warrior article on, on what strength and conditioning is, but that you're taking it from some top coaches or you're taking that from um, some scientific papers or something with a bit of credibility. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Yeah. I think that's really important. Make sure credible sources. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. yep. Um, cool. That's about all uh, I've got to talk about today. I think we've covered off, I think we've covered off pretty much everything. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Hopefully we have. Um, thanks for coming on the show. No worries. Um, it, you've been listening to the Victorian Institute of Sport Podcast Elite Insights. Um, if there's anything you want to hear us talk about that we haven't talked about at all, reach out to us, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we're Victorian Institute of Sport everywhere. And uh, make sure you subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, so that you can keep up to date with the latest episodes. Uh, this has been Elite Insights. We'll see you next time. Bye.